0: All right, good evening, everyone. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. We're going to be in Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter one. If you weren't able to find that earlier, one of the greatest parts of your holy Bible is your holy table of contents. There is no shame uh, in you looking that up and going to Jonah because I want Every time you come in here, for you to have the word of God open in front of you, because I'm gonna say a lot of things, but if those things don't line up with what's actually in the book, you should disregard them. See, this weekend, my desire, my hope for every single one of you is that you would have your face in the Bible, seeing what God has to say, because I think if you do, it might just change your whole life. So again, Jonah chapter one, as you flip there, as you go there, I'll introduce myself. My name is Brian Howard. I'm a pastor at a church called Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. (laughs) That rowdy crowd over there, that's your one. and uh, just really grateful to be here this weekend. As we jump in, I want to introduce myself briefly uh, by telling you about, um, man, I, I love Jesus, love my church, but my whole life is just, man, I just built it around my family, I love my family. I want to introduce a few folks to you. So this is my wife, Dani. Uh, Danny is my beautiful bride. We got married in 2013, been married um, almost nine years here. Uh, love her, she loves Jesus, she's beautiful, she's wise, she's funny, uh, and she is just, a, the, man, I love her to death. And uh, she couldn't be here this weekend, uh, but just missing her and love my wife, Danny. I've got three kids. Here's my first, my daughter, Grace. Uh, Grace is four years old and she is sweet and she is adorable and she has an incredible imagination and is just the light of my world. I always considered myself a strong, tough man until I had a daughter and was sobbing in the delivery room. My wife was fine, I was not. So that's my daughter, Grace. My son, Noah, is the next one. Uh, so this is little buddy, yeah. Yeah, and my daughter is sweet and kind and lovely. My, my son is like the one who will destroy destroy the world someday, okay? And yet he's so fun, he's such a blast. In this photo, he is waving at the one thing every little boy loves, and what is that? Garbage trucks, right? Yeah, this is garbage day is the best day in our home, and Noah loves that. And I'll show you a picture of my third kid here. Um, Oh yeah, she hadn't been born yet. Uh, So in seven weeks, we're anticipating our third kid, our daughter's gonna be born in early March. Yeah, we're so excited about that. And it's crazy how the ultrasounds, they used to just be like a blob of nothingness and now it's like, oh, there there she is. And it's so fun having a third kid. I was thinking about this on my drive up today. It's so fun having a third kid because I had the first one and was just kind of clueless, right? And then I had the second one and I knew a little more, like there were things I knew, like I knew the bottle thing or changing diapers, like I was a pro at that. And yet my son Noah was so different than my daughter Grace. And then this child's going to be born, our girl's going to be born, and it's going to be another one of those things where there's like familiar things, right? Where it's like, I know how to do bottles, and I know how to do diapers, I know how to do all this, but then there's going to be all these unfamiliar things, and why? Because no kid is just like the other kid. Like, raise your hand if you have siblings in this room. No no trick question, okay. Okay, you know this, right, about your siblings. Same house, same parents, same everything, and yet you're just like wildly different than them in some ways, right? Right? And that's the crazy thing about kids. Like I have Grace and I have Noah and I'll have my daughter and they'll all grow up in the same home, same parents, same everything. And yet they'll be wildly different. And I was thinking about this on the drive up because I was thinking about the book we're gonna study this weekend. So so we're gonna look at this book of Jonah here in the Old Testament, this prophet. And here's the risk, the danger for those of you who grew up in church. If you grew up in church or you've read the Bible a bunch, the danger is that you'll be like, Jonah, I know what that's all about. I read that, I saw the veggie tales, I've seen the flannel graphs, I've seen the whole thing, I know what it's like. And on some level, it's right. Like you've read the story of Jonah before, you've seen what Jonah's all about. And yet at the same time, do you know what God describes his word as? He describes his word in the book of Hebrews as living and active, which means every single time you encounter the Bible, even if you've read the story a 100 times before, It's not some stale old story that you just kind of know the drill on. It's this brand new thing that encounters you. And here's my hope for every one of you this weekend. My hope is that we might go to a very familiar story for you in the book of Jonah. And yet that living and active word would hit you in a new way. You would see something fresh. The God of the universe would speak something new to you. That Jonah would not just be a story that you know and have heard about and you've got down but rather you would see and experience the God of the universe and what he has for you this weekend. Because here's what I can promise you. I don't know your story, I don't know where you come from, I don't even know all of your names. I just know that the God of the universe brought you here for a purpose this weekend. He has something to say to you. And if you have ears to hear, you'll hear it, and it might just change your whole life. And so again, Jonah chapter one is where we're gonna begin, very first verse. If you got your Bible, again, I want you looking at it. Jonah chapter one, verse one, here's how it begins. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai. So we begin this story and we see we're introduced to the guy who's the title character of the book. It's Jonah. Now Jonah is not just some random guy. He's not just some random individual living in Israel. Jonah is a prophet of God. In the Old Testament, the people didn't hear directly from God. God would speak to an individual and then that individual would turn around and tell the nation of Israel what God had to say. Jonah is one of these prophets. He's a special one. He's in this high position, this high status. Everyone already knows who Jonah is. In fact, earlier in the Old Testament, we see Jonah show up. This is not the first time we see Jonah. So we have this individual named Jonah, and Jonah is this religious leader that everyone knows. Everyone knows what Jonah is like. Everyone has heard from him already. And yet here's what I want to begin tonight by pointing out. I wanna point out to you something that you'll notice if you look back at that first verse. Would you look back at the first verse with me? Can I just point out that this book doesn't actually begin with Jonah? It begins with a different individual? It doesn't begin with Jonah. Here's how it begins. It says, the word of the Lord. See, ultimately the book of Jonah doesn't begin with Jonah. The, The book of Jonah begins with a word from God, a word from the Lord. Now in your Bible, it probably says the Lord and it might be capitalized either the T T and the L or it might all be capitalized. When you see that in your Bible, it means that it's interpreting a word that's behind this English word that's a very specific and important word for us tonight. See, anytime it's capitalized in your Old Testament, what you'll know is that the Old Testament wasn't written in English, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, there is a word that's four letters wrong. The four letters are Vav Vavhe, and those letters spell the word Yahweh. Yahweh. Anytime you see the Lord in your Bible, it's not a stand-in for God. See, God's name is not God. That's a description of who he is. God reveals his name, and he says, my name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh, and Yahweh has a very specific meaning that we see in the Bible. Yahweh means, I am who I am. Uh, like, if you're not, if you're writing down notes, write that down. Yahweh simply means, I am who I am. And this is why it's so important to begin here tonight. The beginning of the story does not start with Jonah. The beginning of the story is about a God named Yahweh who says, I am who I am, and I have something to say. The first thing I need everyone in this room to know tonight is that there is a God who exists, there is a God who speaks, and you do not get to define him, he does. God gets to define himself, God gets to reveal himself. And the silliest, most ridiculous thing we could do this weekend is talk about God in such a way where we think we get to contribute to what God's actually like. Rather than seeing the God who is actually revealed to us in the scriptures, God gets to define and reveal himself. Like, let me put it to you this way. Can I get a volunteer from somewhere here? I'm not going to embarrass anyone. Right here, right here. Okay. Uh, What is your name, sir? My name is Mark. Your name is Mark. Okay. So we got Mark here. Mark, what high school do you go to? I go to Royal High School. You go to Royal High School. So Mark, Royal High School and um, favorite sport, favorite sport that you play. Tennis, I love that. So we got Mark from Royal High School and he plays tennis. Now I want you to imagine, I walk up to you with this guy later today and I go, I got a guy here, his name's Steven. And he's like, my name's not Steven. I'm like, no, no, you look like a Steven. I knew some Stevens before, you look just like him. You're like, okay. And I go, listen, he goes to West Side High School. And, and he's like, excuse me, no, I go to Royal High School. I'm like, no, no, I never really liked Royal High School. I got some problems with Royal High School. Never really liked the sound of it. He goes to Westside High School, cause that just feels better to me. You'd be like, that's weird. And I'd be like, his favorite sport is croquet. And he'd be like, I don't play croquet, but I guess he does, he loves croquet. Cause I love croquet and every time I cro- play croquet, it's amazing. Like you would think I was crazy. You would go, you don't get to define who Mark is. Like Mark says, this is who I am. This is how I've been. This is who I am. Mark defines that. I don't get to jump in and define it. And the same is true with your God. Do you know that as the creator and sustainer of all things, God gets to define himself and God gets to define you? And and write this down. You do not get a vote. You don't get a vote on what God's like. Like This weekend, we're going to talk about God, and we're going to see some things about what is true about the nature and character of God, and if there's ever a moment where you're like, well, I just don't like that, or the God I believe in would never do that type of thing, I want you to know you can believe in whatever God you want to believe in, but the God of the Bible, this God who calls himself Yahweh, I am who I am, is who he is, and you and I do not get a vote. It begins with this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. It says, Go to the great city of Nineveh. This is the command go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So the command to Jonah is this, go to this city called Nineveh and preach against it. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible's not a made up story in a made up fairy tale land. It's rooted in actual history and actual events and actual nations. And what we can do as we look back in history is we can actually study and understand what Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire was actually all about. And here's what you need to know about the Assyrian Empire of all the empires and of all the kingdoms and of all the things we see all throughout history, there is almost nothing or no one as brutal as the Assyrian empire of which Nineveh is the capital. You know what the Assyrians would do? They would go in and they would conquer a people and they would walk in and they would go up to the leaders of the people they would conquer and when they knew they had defeated him, they would go in and they would cut off both of their legs and then they would cut off the person's left shoulder And then as the person was laying on the ground bleeding to death, they would force the person to shake their hand to humiliate them before they killed them. They would march into homes, and they would take the father's head and slice it off and put it on a pole and force the wife and the children to walk through the street with the father's head on a pole. If they met adolescents, teenagers in the house, they would burn them to death. That was standard practice. Actually, one historian has looked back at the Assyrian Empire and called it a terrorist state, They were not pleasant, they were not kind, they were not good. They were one of the most brutal dynasties, one of the most brutal empires to ever exist. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, and says, I want you to go to those people because their wickedness has come up before me. I want you to go to those people. In in the illustration we have here this week, it's this side, the backyard. I want you to go to those people, and I want you to call out to them. I want you to call them to repentance because their wickedness has come up before me. What does this tell us about our God? I just wanna be abundantly clear tonight. Our God sees and knows every single thing that happens in this world. And God sees and knows every single thing that happens in your life. And when God sees wickedness, and that wickedness comes up before him, it offends a holy God, and he calls us toward repentance. Because here's the key thing I need you to know about God. I said that God defines and reveals himself. And if I were to ask you, what is the one word the Bible would use to describe and define God? I might get all sorts of answers from this room. I might hear love, or power, or wisdom, or knowledge. And those are all true things about our God. But I want you to know that the central claim the Bible makes about God is that God is holy. He is holy. It says the angels in heaven are surrounding the throne of God, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It is the holiness of God that sees the sin in Nineveh, that sees the sin in the Assyrian Empire, and says you must go preach against it, because I see it, it offends me, and it must change. The God of the universe is holy. If you're taking notes tonight, here's three things that holiness means. The holiness of God means at least three things. Number one, It means that God is utterly different. He is utterly different than you. He's not a bigger version of you. He's not a better version of you. He's not just kinda like us except stronger. Anytime we say things, well, if I were God, I would do this. It would be like me saying, if I were the sun, I wouldn't shine on Tuesdays. It's a silly statement. God is not like us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is not like us. He is a bigger, he is utterly different. Number two, I want you to know that God is totally righteous meaning everything God does in and of itself is by definition righteous. He is the definition of righteous living. He is the definition of all that is right and wrong on the universe. None of us can hold a charge against God. God is utterly different. He is totally righteous. And third, God's holiness means he is eternally glorified that God is the glorious, central, magnificent, powerful being at the center of the universe. When the Bible describes God, it does not describe some being that we can get our minds around or put into a small little box. The Bible describes God as holy, one who's utterly different, totally righteous, and eternally glorified. And that God has a word for Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. Verse three, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So this is the story here, and this sets up the rest of the story we're about to read. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, and says, go to Nineveh, and it says he instead runs from the Lord and goes to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is this thing that's discussed all throughout the ancient world, but Tarshish, the best way to think about it is like if I said I was going to Timbuktu, Right, like I'm going as far away as I could possibly get. I'm going the opposite direction and that is what sets up our entire story here in the book of Jonah. What happens is God says I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. Jonah goes the opposite direction. God gives a command, God gives a word, God gives a direction for Jonah. And Jonah thinks to himself the thing all of us think about when we rebel against God. And it's these three words, you can write them down. The three words Jonah thought, and the three words you think every time you sin against God are these three words I know better. I know better. Jonah hears the word of the Lord, it is clear, go to Nineveh, preach against it, and Jonah decides, I know better, and goes his own direction. It's like, forget you, God, I'm doing my own thing. I see this all the time in my children, so I got this son, Noah, who's almost two years old, and almost every night with Noah, we do his favorite thing in the entire world, and that's bath time, okay? There's something so special about this little boy splashing around in the bath, he loves it. But I gotta tell you the one thing he does in bath time that just kills my wife and I, and that's this. He has these little cups he plays with, and from time to time, if I turn around, he will take a big old swig of bath water, put it up to his lips, and begin drinking copiously. Yeah, yeah, it's bad! And we look at him, we're like, Noah! Knock it off! And he has that look. It's not like angry, and it's not sad. It's that kind of coy, like, "Are hey, you gonna stop me, right? Because here's what he's thinking. He's like, Dad, what do you know? This bathwater is delicious. And I'm sitting there as his father going, Don't do it. Now, why am I telling my son not to drink bathwater? Is it because I'm trying to ruin his life? Is it because I'm trying to take all the fun away? No, it's because I actually know better. And if he keeps drinking that bathwater, this stew of water he is sitting in, it is going to make him sick. But what does my son do almost every night? He drinks the bath water, why? Because I know better. Do you know that every time you sin in your life, you are saying the same thing to God? Like for example, do you know that in the scriptures it tells you that there should be no foul word that comes out of your mouth? You should not have foul language or coarse joking in your life. That just has no place in the life of a believer. And yet for some of you, if I were to just flip through your Spotify playlists, yeah. Yeah? It would be filled, filled with vulgarity, filled with foul language, filled with sexual content, filled with racism and sexism that has no place in your ears. And yet some of you have gone, you know, I know the Bible says that, but I know better. Did you know that the Bible reserves sex for like marriage? That, that's it. And I'm just not naive enough to think this isn't a room filled with people who are or have been sexually active. And yet, for some of you, you know that's the case. And yet, somewhere along the way, you got into a relationship and you love her and he loves you and everything's so good and they don't understand our love and we're gonna get married someday anyway because we know better. That's what sin is. Sin is saying, I know what God has to say, but I know better. Like the scriptures have a big deal. They make a big deal of drunkenness and sobriety and avoiding anything that would wreck you in that way. And yet some of you use or drink constantly and you don't think it's that big of a deal. You don't even understand why it's a problem because you know better. Let me just talk about sin tonight sin is you looking at the God of the universe and going, thanks for your suggestion, but I'm gonna go ahead and do my own thing. This is what Jonah does. He goes his own direction, does his own thing because he knows better. I want you to see how the story continues. It goes this way. It says, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea such that a violent storm arose and the ship threatened to break up. Jonah, son of Amittai, hears from the Lord, go to Nineveh. He goes the opposite direction. He flees from the Lord. He goes from the Lord. And here's the crazy thing about this story, that God actually loves Jonah too much to let him go his own way without consequences. He loves Jonah so much. It says in the text, not that a violent storm just started randomly, but look at the text in verse four. It says the Lord sent a violent storm. Like in other words, God is not sending this violent storm on Jonah because he hates him. He's sending a violent storm because he loves him. Because God loves Jonah too much to let him sin without consequence. And I need you to know the same is true for you. Listen, God loves you too much to let you go your own direction without consequence. And I need to be clear for everyone in this room. Your sin always has consequences. Well, let's just be clear about the gospel. The gospel is going to tell us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So from them that I learn, my sin will never cost me my salvation. But let's be abundantly clear. It may not cost me my salvation, but my sin will cost me my joy. It will cost me my peace. Like some of you, love Jesus and walk with him, and yet you have some kind of hidden sin going on in your life, some kind of addiction, some kind of thing that no one in this room or very few people know about, your parents don't know about, your youth pastor doesn't know about it, no one knows, and so you're playing this constant game where you're trying to hide it, and you're always just few seconds away from being found out, and so if your parents ever pick up your phone, you're just panicked because they're gonna find what's on there, or if your friend ever asks too many questions, they're gonna find out what you did last weekend, Some of you live in this low-level anxiety that has taken over your whole life because you've got some secret sin that you're just not planning on dealing with, and it is robbing you of your peace. It it robs you of your joy. Can I just point out that your sin has never actually satisfied you? That's why every time that those of you who struggle with pornography say this, this is the last time I'm gonna look at porn, that's why it never works, because it's you drinking salt water hoping someday you'll be hydrated. It never works. It never has. You always need one more drink. You always need one more video, one more hit, one more lie to your parents, one more time with your girlfriend, one more time with your boyfriend. There's always more. And your joy is sucked from you. It's robbed from you because sin never brings anything of value to your life. It always and only takes from you. Like I'm just willing to imagine in the last year or so, some of you have had some gnarly drama with some friends. Do you know what that is a result of? Your sin? their sin, and a combination of the two. Every time you have drama, every time there's gossip, every time things fall apart with a friendship or a relationship, it's because sin has entered the picture and it robs from you. It takes from you your joy, it takes from you your peace, it takes from you your relationships, and listen to me. To the person who will never confess and acknowledge that their sin is a problem and that they are in need of a savior, it will ultimately take from you your life. It will send you down in a direction where ultimately you will end up eternally separated and judged from God in a place the scriptures call hell. Listen, the Bible is abundantly clear that you will not lose your salvation because of your your sin. Like child of God, if you know Jesus, I am not here tonight to say you're on the edge of losing your salvation. That's been secured in Jesus. My concern for some of you is that you know Jesus, you're secure in him, but you are not walking in the joy and the peace that the Lord has for you because sin has just overwhelmed your life. And then for those of you who don't know Jesus, you haven't been walking with him, you want nothing to do with God, if you continue in the direction you're going, God loves you and he cares you and he knows you're going in that direction, but he does not want you to walk that direction for all of eternity. Listen, Jonah goes in that direction. God sends a storm not because he hates Jonah but because he loves Jonah and he does not want Jonah to suffer the consequences of his sin. Verse five goes on this way. It says, all the sailors were afraid and they cried out to their own God. So this is wild. He gets onto a boat with a bunch of other sailors and here's what we learn. Now we have three different individuals or groups in the story. We have the people of Israel and we have Jonah, right? who's an Israelite, he's Jewish, he knows God, the God of the Old Testament. And then we've got Nineveh, we've got this terrible, wicked, awful, horrible city, but now we're introduced to a third group. And that third group are these sailors. And what does it tell us about these sailors? They're each crying out to their own God. Which means what? Which means these sailors don't believe in the one God of the Bible, they are pagan polytheists who believe in all kinds of gods. So here's what we got to recap so far in the story. We've got Jonah, who's supposed to be the good guy of the story, who is sinning and running away from God. We've got the Ninevites, who are supposed to be the bad guys of the story, and they are bad guys because they're doing wicked, awful, horrible things. And then you've got the pagan sailors in the story, and what are the pagan sailors doing? They're worshiping false gods. You notice a pattern here? Whether it's Jonah or the Ninevites or the pagan sailors, every single individual in the story is sinning against God. Every single individual in this story is rebelling against the way God has instituted the world to work. And you know what this reminds me of? That Romans chapter three has this very simple statement that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's true for Jonah. It's true for the pagan sailors. It's true for the Ninevites. And listen to me, it is true for every person in this room. It is true for me. It's true for Mikey and Harrison. It's true for your youth pastor and your parents. All of us are sinners. Like this is what's being set up here there's all these people rebelling against God. And here's why I wanna bring this up tonight. Because I think there's some of you, as we talk about sin, and as we talk about the effects sin has in your life, where you kind of think you're a sinner and that makes you unique. Like some of you live in this shame where you think if you ever confessed to people here in this room that you were a sinner, they would be shocked and overwhelmed. Or you think if you went to your youth pastor or to your cabin tonight and said, guys, I gotta confess. I'm addicted to porn, I, I'm just out of control with my anger and rage, I lie to my parents all the time, I drink all the time, I cheat and I steal and I'm terrible to people. You think if you say that out loud, people will be shocked. But can I just like, remove that from you tonight? Can I just out everyone in this room, myself included, as a sinner? And you know what that does? It frees you from having to pretend you've got it all together. It just frees you up to not have to pretend that you're perfect and you don't have sin and you're not a sinner. You are. And so what does that mean for us practically? It means that later tonight, you're gonna get into a cabin discussion where you're with the cabin that you're with this weekend. And and here's what's so cool. You just get to confess to them that you're a sinner. You don't have to hide and pretend. In fact, the only people we're certain of that are lying are the people who are like, I don't struggle with anything. I'm good, 100%, in the clear, don't even need to talk about it. Those are the only people I'm concerned about. Like tonight, when you get into cabin time, when you get with your youth pastor, your counselor, your leaders, Share what's going on, be honest. Maybe for the first time in your life, you'll say out loud what's actually going on in your heart. It says in verse five, it says they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So let me point out a little movement that's happened in the text here. Where does it start? With the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai. And it says that Jonah ran from the Lord. And then it'll actually say in the text, if you look at it, it says he went down to Joppa. It doesn't say he went to Joppa. It says he went down to Joppa. And then what did he do in Joppa? Well, he went to the port, which is always the lowest elevation of a city, right? And then he goes down to the ship. And then what does it say here? It says he went down below the ship. He laid down and he fell into a deep sleep. It starts with Jonah hearing from the God of the universe. He goes down to Joppa, down to the port, down to the ship, down below deck, down to sleep, and falls into a deep sleep. Do you see the movement for Jonah here? It started with him and God being tight. And without Jonah even realizing it, he's been in a downfall. He's been heading toward the very bottom. You know what terrifies me? I just wonder if there's some of you in this room that are in a downfall you don't even know you're in yet. Like you've been slowly drifting from God over the last two years. You've been slowly getting more and more into your sin. What used to be unacceptable to you is now normal. What used to be something you would never do is now something you do regularly. You used to love church and be involved in church and love Jesus and read your Bible, but you don't even know where your Bible is anymore. There's this slow, slow, slow downfall that can happen without even realizing it. We can drift to a place we never intended to get to. And here's my hope for you, that some of you are like Jonah this weekend, sleeping at the bottom of the ship, not even realizing how catastrophic things have gotten in your life. And my hope for every single one of you is this, that, that this weekend, that you would wake up. You would wake up to the reality of your life, the reality of your drift, the reality of the ways you've drifted from the things of the Lord into your sin. It goes this way in verse six. It says, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Like the captain goes down below deck and he's going, what's wrong with you? What does he do? He wakes him up. And here's what I want for you in your life. I want you to have someone in your life who has permission to wake you up. That's what it means to be a part of a church, part of a small group, part of a Bible study. It's giving someone in your life permission to wake you up. My concern for some of you is that no one's ever allowed to look you in the eyes and say, I'm uncomfortable with what you said right there. I think you're walking in sin and you need to turn from that. I'm nervous that you actually aren't talking like you used to talk. I'm nervous about the guy you're seeing. I'm nervous about the friends you're hanging out with. You haven't been at church in three weeks. You're slipping into something you didn't want to slip into. Some of you have never given that permission to anyone in your life. Nobody has permission to wake you up. Can I give someone a real practical challenge and I wonder who will take me up on it? Before you go to bed tonight, look another human being in the eye. It can be a friend, it can be a counselor, and say you, or that person that he was talking about. You have permission to call me out. You have permission. In fact, I insist that if I'm ever drifting away from the Lord, you wake me up and call me out because I need to know that. It goes on this way in verse six. It says, get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast their lots and it fell on Jonah. Notice what the sailors are experiencing. This wasn't their sin that caused the storm, it was Jonah's sin. And yet they're being caught up in it. They know they're gonna die. They're out in the middle of the ocean. Their boat is about to sink and they're going, this is a calamity. And here's what I know. When it comes to your sin, some of you will never be persuaded to forsake your sin for your sake. Because you've managed to get through life to this point and you think it's okay. But can I just speak this over someone tonight? Your sin may be personal but it is never private. It never stays with you. Like can I just convince and persuade someone tonight that your sin affects your sister? It affects your dad. It affects your best friend. It affects the people in your church. It affects the person sitting next to you and you might not even understand how or exactly why that happens but I need you to know that everything rotten and terrible and horrible, all of the injustices and wickedness of this world happens because of sin. If you've ever seen something in the news and gone, that's racist, that's sexist, that's oppressive, that's terrible, that's horrible, why would something in the world happen like that? It's because somewhere along the way, someone stopped stopped realizing that their sin might be personal, but it is not private. Can I convince someone tonight that the reason to forsake your sin is not just for your sake, it is for the sake of the people who are sitting around you, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your future children someday, who will suffer for your sins unless you manage to turn around, repent and find healing from those sins, you will pass them on. And I just wanna call someone here to recognize that your sin might be personal, but it's never private. Here's how the story will end for tonight. It says in verse eight, so they asked him, this is the sailors, they were trying to figure out who was responsible for this, and it says the lot fell to Jonah, which means like they randomly picked, and God chose to show it. it was Jonah. It says they said, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country, and what people are you for? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? For they knew that he was running from the Lord, because he had already told them so. I think there's a really important part of the story here. Um, I want you to notice the text says twice that it says Jonah was running from the Lord. See, here's what you and I tend to think of when we think of our sin we tend to think we're running from the rules. We think there are these rules that God has put in place or our parents have put in place or someone in our life has put in place. And when I'm sinning, I'm rebelling against the rules. But here's what the Bible actually says. When I'm walking in sin, I'm rebelling against God. I'm running from him. Like the great concern for Jonah isn't that he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. The great concern for Jonah is that he wants nothing to do with God. Jonah wants nothing to do with God. And yet here's the wild part of this story that we're gonna see for the rest of this weekend. God, that Jonah is done with the Lord. Jonah is done with God. But God is nowhere close to done with Jonah. He's nowhere close to done with him. And here's why this is the best news in the entire universe. I just recognize that this weekend we just started real quick, right? Like there's a hammer of talking about sin tonight. And it's possible that right now you're just sitting feeling this weight of crushing guilt and shame and how could God ever want anything to do with a wretch like me? And listen to me, even if you are completely done with God, I wanna promise you on the authority of the Bible that God is not done with you, that God is not finished with you, your story's just getting started. Listen, for some of you, you have been running from God your whole life or maybe you've been running from God for two years now. You've been running and doing your own thing and going your own direction, but hear me tonight, someone, that if you would stop and turn around, you would realize that the God of the universe has never stopped chasing after you. This is the story of Jonah. The ultimate character in the story of Jonah is not Jonah. It is the God who relentlessly pursues rebels, whether those rebels be Jonah, the pagan sailors, the people in Nineveh, or you. I read this quote this summer, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I wanna read this over you as we close out tonight. He was talking about Jesus, and he was talking about Jesus's mercy and kindness towards sinners, and Dane Ortland writes this. He says, Jesus does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. That's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side to provide this phrase, a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. And that is what is available to every single one of you. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what's going on in the gut of your being. I'm just certain of this, that there is a limitless supply of mercy and grace for you if you would call in the name of the Lord tonight, if you would go to God, If you would say, God, I've been running from you for years. I've been going my own direction, but I want to turn and receive that limitless supply of grace. See, here's what we're told in Romans chapter two, that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It is God's goodness that leads us to turn. It is not the shame and the guilt and the weight of this world. It is the kindness of God that turns us around. The kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. And hear me clearly on this. Child of God, repentance this weekend is the only path to peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight, and thanks for the opportunity to look at the book of Jonah. Father, I know the sin in this room. I know the sin in my own heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would come meet us with your kindness, with your mercy, and your grace. And that kindness and mercy and grace would lead us to repentance. I pray for the young woman in this room who just feels so much shame right now. God, that that shame would be shattered by the goodness and the grace of Christ. I pray for the young man who is walking in darkness right now that you would pierce through with your mercy and your love and tell that young man how loved he is. God, may this be a place of confession and repentance tonight that we might experience the peace you have for us. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.